books, books, and more books. I love to read books, and I hope you do too, because in this episode, I'm going to review some of the most recent books I've been reading and talk about uh, some of the books I am currently reading. I'm Preston Sprinkle. You're listening to Theology in the Rock. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. In this episode, I'm going to talk about various books I have recently read and am about to read or am currently reading. I love to read, and I know many of you do too, so I hope you enjoy this episode. First, let me tell you about a few upcoming speaking events that I'll be at, uh, that I'll be speaking at. First of all, July 26th through 28th, the Revoice Conference. That's just around the corner. That's in St. Louis, Missouri at Memorial Presbyterian Church. That's July 26th through the 28th. I think I'll be speaking on the 27th of that conference, doing a workshop in the morning about uh, how you can be a straight ally for LGBTQ Christians. Uh, Next, I'll be at John Brown University in Arkansas on September 13th, speaking in chapel and doing various other things throughout the day. September 25th, I'll be in Los Angeles uh, at Rocky Peak Church in the Valley, uh, like I'll be totally in the Valley again, where I used to live. And uh, that's September 25th, doing a one-day leaders forum. Registration is open uh, for that event right now. September 27th, I'll be in San Diego for a one-day leaders forum. And I do believe registration is open for that one as well. Uh, October 9th through the 10th, I'll be in Dyer, Indiana at the Gospel Alliance Conference with the uh, Reformed Church of America. Uh, October 11th, I'll be well, I'll still be in Dyer for a one-day leaders forum at uh, Faith Reformed Church. October 17th in Kent, Washington, doing a half-day leaders forum in Kent, Washington. That's just, I believe that's just south of SeaTac. So, but if you're in the Seattle area, you know probably exactly where Kent, Washington is. November 6th, I'll be in Houston, Texas for a one-day leaders forum. Um, I also have... Well, there was a, uh, an event in Dallas a couple days later. That is a bit up in the air right now. We're trying to find some people or churches to host that event. So uh, you can check back for more details on that. November 12th, I'll be in Denver, Colorado for a one-day leaders forum. Then I'll also be speaking at the annual Evangelical Theological Society conference in Denver, Colorado, uh, doing a joint session on, um, well... Not, not a session on joints. I know it's Colorado, and so maybe some of that will be going on, but I'll be doing a co-session, co-hosted session on the, the, uh, the Nashville Statement. So uh, me and uh, Joel Willits will be presenting a case against the Nashville Statement, and uh, Denny Burke and I believe, the, who did he find? Andrew Walker, I think, uh, presenting a case for the Nashville Statement. Uh, January 25th to 27th, I'll be at the Breakforth One Conference in Canada. Edmonton, uh, Canada, uh, January 29th, Las Cruces, New Mexico. I didn't know where Las Cruces was. I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly until some awesome people down there contacted me and wanted me to come out and do a one-day leaders forum. That's January 29th in New Mexico, February 5th, back in Portland, Oregon. 
And several of the events are brewing. I know one that I recently agreed to is a a dialogue with Justin Lee uh, in March. I believe it's March 9th or 10th, somewhere around there. The details will be up on my website soon. Uh, That will be a dialogue with Justin Lee in, um, in the South San Francisco area. So... If you want to attend one of these events or learn more, you can go to my website, PrestonSmirgle.com, and look at my schedule, and all the details should be there and being updated as more details come in. So check it out. We'll see you then. Hey, let's jump into some books. I want to uh, just kind of talk through some of these books that I've been reading. Uh, Obviously, given the nature of what I do, I, I read a ton of stuff on sex, sexuality, and gender. So let's start there. Um, there's a recent book that was updated. Well, it's an older book that was updated by Leonard Sachs. Leonard Sachs called Why Gender Matters. I think he wrote this book about 15 years ago, and he just came out with a second edition recently. And this is an outstanding book. If you have questions about gender or it's specifically questions about children and gender, this is an outstanding book. The subtitle is What Parents and Teachers Need to Know About the Emerging Science of Sex Differences. Leonard Sachs is one of the more brilliant um, humans on earth, really. He graduated from MIT at the age of 19. Okay, that's like insane. Like, I'm 42 with a PhD, and they probably wouldn't let me in MIT. I literally pr- probably could not actually get into MIT. Like, this is just, it's just like one of the top schools in, in the world. He graduated from MIT at the age of 19, went on to do both a PhD and an MD. He's written a lot on gender. He's a, um, a gender and parenting and boys and girls. He's re- he wrote a couple good books um, a while back called uh, Gir- was it Girls on Edge and Boys Adrift on parenting girls and boys. Um, yeah, he's super solid. I don't, I don't think he's a Christian. It's not like a Christian book. So don't expect like, you know, a lot of Bible verses here. There's not going to be probably, I don't think he quotes from the Bible at all. Um, But just a really good level-headed look at uh, the differences between boys and girls. What does the science say? What does the science not say? He's got several chapters at the end um, that are, uh, if you're into the LGBTQ conversation, these are going to be incredibly helpful. Uh, Chapter 9 called Gender Nonconforming. Chapter 10. Uh, just titled Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Chapter 11, Intersex and Transgender, and Chapter 12, The Male-Female Mistake. Those, one, two, three, four chapters alone are worth the price of the book. They are so good, so balanced, and so informative. So that's why Gender Matters, the second edition. Get the second edition. It's been updated quite a bit um, by Leonard Sachs. Another book I recently read is called Love Thy Body by Nancy Percy. Um, Nancy Percy is the author of one of my favorite books ever written called... um, uh, total truth. Uh, Nancy Percy is kind of like um, she's kind of like a, the, the world, uh, like a worldview expert. She loves dealing with different ideologies and religions and streams of thought on a worldview uh, level. She is a disciple of Francis Schaeffer. She's kind of like the new Francis Schaeffer. If you're not familiar with Nancy Percy, um, very good writer, very clear, very good researcher. Um, uh, in this book, Love Thy Body, she talks, it's, it's basically a, a, a book about a Christian ethic of the body. So it talks about different topics like abortion. It talks about euthanasia, talks about uh, transgender related questions and homosexuality and uh, the hookup culture and uh, a few other topics that she handles very well. She's very, very widely read. And again, she deals with things not on the surface level. She gets to the bottom of 
different ideologies and examines them on the worldview level. Um, I, I do have, a, I, mean, I mean, a few, I guess, minor critiques. I, again, I would highly recommend reading the book, but like any book, I mean, I, I do have maybe some disagreements. I, I would say I ultimately agree with her conclusions. I, I think sometimes um, when she um, summarizes an opposing view that she is going to uh, take down or address, I think sometimes she will quote the opposing view as if it's sort of self-evidently refuting. And she does offer counter evidence against the different views. And again, I'm making a really broad brush statement here, but there was sometimes just kind of flipping through the, um, uh, flipping through some of the notes I have in the margins here. And there are some times when it's like, I was kind of waiting for something like a, like a more robust critique with evidence and argumentation and refutation. Um, and sometimes it, it wasn't as thorough as I was, I hoped it would be, but a very readable book by somebody who is a very, very thoughtful person, definitely um, worth, worth a read. I've been reading several other books that are what, what, I, what, what I would call uh, trans-affirming um, uh, biblical studies books or theology books, books that argue from theology, from the Bible, that defend uh, transgender or non-binary identities. Uh, and I don't know if you're aware of this, but as it typically goes, I mean, most, you know, f- from the 80s to the 90s, most books written on what the Bible says about uh, homosexuality or same-sex relationships um, and the Bible, most of the books written that combined those two topics, the Bible and, and homosexuality, were written to um, affirm uh, the sanctity of same-sex relationships. And it's usually the, the so-called conservatives or traditionalists that end up playing catch-up and then having to write books, usually a, a decade or two after <laughs> the affirming books have been written. And I'm seeing that trend now. I mean, if you just uh, do a quick survey of all the books written on what the Bible says about transgender identities, most of them are going to be affirming. Um, there are a few books... Uh, that have come out that uh, argue for a so-called traditional view of, you know, transgender identities. Um, Andrew Walker wrote one. Uh, there's another really short one. I'm looking at my shelf right now. I can't find it. Um, anyway, it's a really short book just called Transgender. Um, and there's maybe one or two others that I've, I've come across. Um, but for the most part, most of the books written on what the Bible says about transgender identities are affirming. So it's uh, oh, here's here's a book on the short book I was referring to. It's by Vaughn Roberts. That's right. Vaughn Roberts is a, a UK pastor, and he wrote a really short book called Transgender. I mean, it's only you know seventy pages or so. Um, it's a good introduction, but I mean, there's there's just a lot lot more work that needs to be done on this topic. And right now, most of the people doing the work are affirming. So um, I have read, I think, all or at least most of the books that have been written uh, from an affirming perspective on transgender identities. Uh, the first one I read, this was published a few years ago, called The Bible and the Transgender Experience, How Scripture Supports Gender Variant, Variance by uh, Linda, uh, I'm going to hopefully I pronounce this right, uh, Tatro or Tatro Herzer, 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 H-E-R-Z-E-R. Um, this is a readable book. It's kind of, it's fairly lay level, but she does get into um, some nitty gritty textual, you know, questions. She deals with Genesis 127. She deals with the eunuch. She deals with the cross-dressing command. She deals with um, uh, Leviticus. And um, yeah, she has a few sections on gender variant people in the Bible. And um, 
what's my overall thought on this book? Well, I mean, to be honest, as a as a biblical scholar, I was how do I say it? I was not impressed with her exegetical arguments like at all. Like I felt like they were um made massive leaps. They ignored any sort of kind of critical interaction with, you know, opposing views or or different issues or scholars that would challenge pretty much everything she's saying about um, the scripture, she would just cite, you know, certain authors, kind of obscure authors that um, would support her, her, her interpretation, but didn't interact really with mainstream biblical scholarship because, I mean, mainstream biblical scholarship would not agree with, I mean, pretty much everything she's saying about what the Bible says. Um, as always, I, I mean, I absolutely appreciate her heart in uh, wanting to support marginalized people and her concern as as anybody who's affirming their concern to address the suicide rate among transgender people, the the bullying and the homelessness and all these things that I'm very much also concerned about. Um, but I don't think we need to... Um, uh, well, <laughs> I think we still need robust exegetical work um, and letting the text go where, where, it, where it may. So um, a good book to be aware of how somebody um, affirms transgender identities, uh, meaning that a biological male c- could actually be a female and vice versa, and that you could, um, I don't like this phrase, and, and it's kind of sloppy, but you know, that somebody could be like born in the wrong body. It's, it's, that's a, it's, it's not technically what people are going for, but I mean, that's kind of the colloquial phrase people use. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I think uh, there needs to be some <laughs> a much more robust defense of that view. And, and so far, I've, I've yet to see it. But um, this is a good book to read if you want to be aware of how, how do people justify, you know, a tr- you know um, getting sex reassignment surgery or hormone replacement therapy or, you know, transitioning. How, how can a Christian actually justify this from Scripture? Well, if you want to know, then read this book, The Bible and the Transgender Experience. Um, a few more books that are written along the same lines. Uh, there's uh, one by Cheryl Evans, whose um, child is transgender, and she wrote a book from a, the perspective of a very thoughtful mother who um, did a lot of research, obviously, when you're child is wrestling with gender dysphoria and then ends up transitioning. I mean, you're going you're gonna to be forced to do a lot of research saying, all right, what do I think about this? And in her research, she uh, came to affirm uh, transgender identities. Now, this book, um, so the, the book by hers, or the, the previous one I mentioned, she, she has a degree. Um, she's got a theology degree. She's, a, 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 she's smart. She seems like she's pretty well-read. Um, this one by Cheryl Evans is, um, it's touching. I mean, it's a great uh, st- story to, to see a mother wrestling with these complex issues, especially when they hit home. Um, so I appreciate her heart. Um, the exegesis in it is is really torturous. And, and there's just, I mean, and even the scientific claims, she's reading one side of the science, which is really not, has been refuted many times over that, you know, um, for instance, that the, the, the so-called brain sex theory that, you know, some people could be born with, you know, male chromosomes and f- a female brain. Um, that whole theory that there is such a thing called a, just a, a, you have a male brain and a female brain, like that is, well, at the very least, that has absolutely not been scientifically proven. And it's been uh, critiqued many times over by actual scientists and neurologists, um, so she kind of reads one side of that scientific evidence and then makes some really 
um, optimistic conclusions about somebody being born with a you know an opposite sex brain or a brain that's different from the biological sex. Um, her exegesis is is really. I think poor, uh, doesn't really interact with scholarship. And again, she, she claims, you know, I'm not, she says, I'm not a scholar, you know, but then she makes some pretty outrageous claims about what the Bible says. So I don't, I guess I don't, um, if somebody's going to say, look, I'm not a scholar, I'm not, you know, I'm, um, I'm not, I'm not an expert, you know, but then they start making outrageous claims about what the Bible says. I just, it's like, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Like if you're not a, um, I, I, w- I guess I would want a little more caution if, if you admit that you're not a scholar and then you make these outrageous claims about what the Bible says. And, and in several cases, she makes them rather boldly. Um, well, which is it? You know, are, are you, I mean, you're claiming to overturn, you know, like uh, basically uh, overwhelming majority of biblical scholarship. And then you kind of back up and say, well, but I'm not a scholar, you know, well, then maybe you shouldn't be um, overturning, <laughs> um, uh, you know, uh, huge chunks of scholarship with, with these radical conclusions. So um, again, good book to read, uh, and I will leave it in, in your hands to see if you are convinced by her arguments. Another book uh, called uh, Beyond a Binary God, A Theology for Trans Allies. This is written by Tara, I want to say Sowers. I'm just so terrible at pronouncing these names. S-O-U-G-H-E-R-S. Now Tara, Tara or Tara, is an Episcopal priest. Uh, she has two sons. One is trans. And uh, she has a, a doctorate in practical theology from uh, Boston University, their school of theology. Uh, she also has a master of divinity. So she, I mean, she is a very sharp cookie. Um, and she, this book, different from the other books, this one argues more on theological grounds that, uh, for transgender um, identities. Uh, and I say theological grounds rather than like biblical studies grounds. She does deal with the text, but she deals lar- more so with uh, systematic theology and conversations going on in the, the theological world. And I, I don't know if you know, but I mean, there, there is a, actually a big difference between the disciplines of biblical studies and versus, you know, theology, like systematic theology. Um, and so she deals more with uh, theological arguments. Again, she deals with a lot of the main arguments about what about Genesis 127? What does it mean to be male and female in the image of God? Um, she does deal with... Uh, she deals a lot with like with the Trinitarian theology and how the Trinity intersects with male and female identities. It's an interesting conversation. Again, I was not convinced by it. I've got all these notes scribbled in the margins that say, that's a leap. What about this? You didn't consider that. Um, this doesn't, <laughs> your conclusion here isn't supported by evidence and, and so on and so forth. But um, again, a good book to read. It's, it's pretty easy to read. It's not very long. Um, and so if you, if you want to engage the theological level of this conversation, that's a, that's a good one to read. Um, the most recent book I read, um, which I think of all of the trans-affirming uh, books in the Bible, I think this one's probably the best. If you're going to read one book, I'd read this one. This is by Austin Hartke um, called Transforming. The subtitle is The Bible and the Lives of Transgender Christians. Austin is a uh, female-to-male transgender Christian who has a degree in Old Testament. Austin is a very sharp cookie, and you can actually find Austin on YouTube. He's got um, several YouTube videos where he articulates his understanding of of Scripture. And this book is, I thought it was going to be a a deeper book on, on the Bible. I thought it would go deeper into the text because Austin is a 
he loves the Bible. He studies the Bible. He loves the Old Testament, especially. And I was expecting a bit more depth, a bit more interaction with um, the broader scholarly discussion. Um, I, I would say it's about at least two thirds personal stories and maybe, maybe a third biblical studies. So I don't, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I think it's absolutely crucial to mix in personal stories uh, when you're talking about the text. So I, I don't fault him for that at all. I just, I personally was looking for, because um, I, I knew this book was coming out. I, I've, I've been following Austin and I knew his love for scripture and I just was hoping that it would be a bit more in depth. Um, so, um, and, and the personal stories are all, they're all like really helpful and touching and I enjoyed reading every single one of them. It's probably my favorite, my favorite part of the book. Um, but <laughs> They are all, the stories are all the same cloth, you know, somebody who has experienced gender dysphoria growing up in a really, usually it's always a really conservative church where nobody's listening to them. They're kind of shamed and and made fun of and everything. And then they, you know, have a faith crisis and then they end up finding a a liberal or affirming church. And then they realize that God accepts them as they are, you know, which, um, yeah, I mean, that's their story. So I can't critique it, but I mean, it's not like everybody who experiences gender dysphoria um, has that same narrative. You know, I have several friends who have experienced, you know, um, mild to severe gender dysphoria, and they are not at all (laughs) um, convinced by the affirming arguments, and they are submitting their uh, struggle to God in the way they see fit, which is within a traditional framework of being male and female. Um, so yeah, just as, I mean, and again, whenever you share stories, it's like, of course, these stories don't exhaust all the stories that are out there. Um, and I guess I can get accused of only sharing one side, one kind of story. And, and I do, I, I often share stories of LGBT people who um, are living out their sexuality in a way that I see as faithful to Jesus. They're submitting their sexuality to Christ, or if they have gender dysphoria, they still believe God created him. Um, as the sex and gender that their biology tells them they are. And um, I do like to show those stories. So um, yeah, I'm not necessarily faulting Austin for that because I end up doing the same thing. I guess I, I, <laughs> I, I will say, you know, people critique me for sharing, you know, one-sided stories and I guess that's fair. And um, as long as we understand, I think everybody ends up sharing stories that support the view that they are, that they believe. So um yeah, the exegesis in the, in the book, it's not, it's not terrible. It's, care, it's, it's more careful than the other books I referenced. Um, but there still is just, it's, he, he ends up citing, um, you know, scholarly evidence that supports his view and doesn't critically interact with any opposing evidence. Um, uh, for instance, I mean, there was, um, he has a whole section on uh, Galatians, um, well, yeah, Galatians 328 is one section uh, that he, I think he does not, I mean, there's, there's been a lot of studies done on Galatians 328 where it says neither male nor female, or neither male and female, uh, where Paul seems to be citing Genesis 127 and seeing, and, and he seems to be saying like that Genesis 127 sexual binary is, is going to be no longer, it's no longer going to be around. Sex difference is going to be done away with. Now that's not what Paul's saying. Um, but some scholars have made that argument. Most scholars have critiqued that argument. And of course, Austin cites, you know, who was it? Malherby or one of the scholars that, um, 
uh, it wasn't Mal Harvey, it was somebody else, uh, a scholar who makes that argument, even though that argument has been refuted by many, many people and doesn't even show any sort of awareness that that argument has been refuted many times over um, by some really top-notch scholars like uh, uh, um, uh, Judy Gundry-Wolf uh, has written several, several articles on Galatians 3.28 and male-female difference. And, and she's not like a token evangelical either. And yet she is, uh, through several articles, refuted that. You guys have many, many others. So um, that would be my one critique, because I think the exegesis is a little thin, and he only cites evidence that would support his view. He doesn't seem to be aware of, or if he is aware of, he doesn't interact with scholarship that would oppose um, much of what he's saying. So, but if you want, again, if you want one book to read that gives you an understanding of what, how uh, uh, trans affirming, in this case, an actual transgender Christian, um, uh, reads the Bible to support his experience or his identity, um, this would be the best one to get. Austin Hartke, Transforming. A few other books I've been reading, um, or I just recently read, that has to do with uh, sex, sexuality, and, and uh, sexual identity. This one is called Straight, uh, subtitled the, Surprising Short, the Surprisingly Short History of Heterosexuality by Hannah Blanc, is how I'm going to pronounce her name, H-A-N-N-E, and then Blanc or Blank, B-L-A-N-K. Uh, I'm just going to call her Hannah Blanc, sounds better. Um, yeah, uh, Blanc is a, a writer and a historian, deals a lot with topics that uh, involve sexuality, gender, history, culture, and so on. Um, not, not a Christian book, okay? She's not Christian at all. Um, but this book deals with the, as it says, the surprisingly short history of heterosexuality. Certainly, heterosexuals have existed since the beginning of time, just like um, gay people have existed from the beginning of time. But um, it's very recent that we would use categories of gay and straight as identities. That is a very new thing that we would use these, uh, that we would identify by our so-called sexual orientation. And this is a really lively book. It's a good read. She's very informative. She goes all the way back to the, the history of the very word, heterosexual and homosexual back in the mid-19th uh, century, and um, deals a lot with the whole concept of sexual orientation, sexual identity, and shows how recent and culturally driven and malleable uh, those concepts are. So if you have any interest in kind of the history of sexuality or history of the sexual identity and, um, and also um, the fragility of the very social concept of sexual orientation, this is a great book. Uh, great book to read. Another great book. If you're if you're a pastor or a Christian, <laughs> and you want to be informed on just the broader trends in sex and uh, not just sexuality, but sexual trends, the hookup culture, pornography, um, sex outside of marriage, or um, uh, polyamory, or other you know kind of topics that are kind of hot right now. Um, Mark Regneris is how I'm going to pronounce him. I, I've talked to Mark before. I should ask him how to pronounce his name. Regneris? Regeneris? No, not Regeneris. Re, I'm going to say Regneris. Mark Regneris is a, I believe he's Catholic. I think he's Catholic, um, but he's a, uh, a sociologist at University of Austin, Texas, I believe. 
and he is um, he's not like a, a Christian sociologist. He's a he's a sociologist who I think might happen to be religious, but that it doesn't come out in his writings. It's not like he's promoting certain religious view of um, the the topic. Um, he, uh, he does have his, you know, more conservative commitments, but he, he is just a top-notch sociologist doing great sociological research. He's written a lot on, uh, the sexual practices of Americans, especially teenagers. So his most recent book is called Cheap Sex, The Transformation of Men, Marriage, and Monogamy. This is a very dismal look (laughs) at the state of sexual practices among Americans today. It's based on several in-depth and thorough sociological studies uh, mixed with a lot of personal interviews and anecdotes. Uh, It is a fantastic book. It's a very depressing book. I mean, it just shows how, long story short, the sexual freedom offered and promoted in and through the wake of the sexual revolution has not led to sexual happiness. End of story. Like that's, that's the basic gist. I don't even know if he frames it in such terms, but he looks at the sexual practices and habits and preferences of, um, not, not Christians. I mean, this is a, a sociological, sociological study on just society as a whole. Um, but he just, it, it, is, it is really, really depressing. But it's also incredibly informative so that we can be aware of the sexual climate that we're living in. Outstanding book. I read it cover to cover. Usually I can't finish a book. Usually I read um, most of the book and after a while I kind of get like burnt out. And this book just kept my attention the whole way. It, it is a sociological study. It's not like a... Um, yeah, it's not like a, a popular level, you know, just page turner, but he is such a clear writer and just the topic itself is really engaging. So it's a, it's a very in-depth book. It's, a, it's an academic book, but it's also a very, very easy to read book. Um, and he's got lots of graphs and charts and backs up everything he says by evidence. And, and it's very, very balanced too. Um, very balanced. Like you don't, again, I, I know that he is a, you know, social conservative and I think he's Catholic. Um, but you just, you don't see that come out in the book. He's just looking at the evidence. So Cheap Sex by Mark Regnerus. And then the most recent book I read, um, I think I read 80% of it, is Steven Pinker's Enlightenment Now, The Case for Reason, Science, Humanism, and Progress. This is an a- absolutely outstanding book by one of the brightest people in the world. If you're not familiar with Steven Pinker, um, you need to be. So at the very top of the book, Bill Gates says, my new favorite book of all time. (laughs) Um, Pinker has taught at MIT. He's taught at Stanford, and now he's at Harvard. He's the uh, psychology professor at Harvard University. He's written um, all of his books, I think, are really long. This one's almost 500 pages, and they're all just like groundbreakers. They are, he is just top-notch scholar. Um, Politically, I would say he's left of center, um, religiously, he's an atheist, and he does take a few pot shots at religion in the book that are absolutely, absolutely insane. I'm like, have you ever been into a church or met a Christian before? Um, besides maybe a few fundamentalists you see on the TV or whatever. Um, so if you just ignore the, you know, couple pages here and there where he tries to talk about religion, um, that's actually torturous, almost comical to read. Um, but the rest of this is just mind-blowing. And w- the whole premise of the book is this. Now, I'm, this, this is you just, you got you to read the book, okay? Because uh, you're not going to, basically, you're not going to believe uh, anything I'm about to say. You're going to say, nope, don't agree with that. Nope, don't agree with that. But Pinker, again, left of center, 
he's not, he's not pushing some conservative agenda, but um, uh, he shows, and he's got just piles of evidence, piles and piles of evidence that we have made progress in virtually every single area that you can think of as in society. And the whole book is kind of reacting against you know, doomsday preachers, both on the left and the right. It's not a left-right book. It's just an evidence-based book. And he looks at many, many different categories um, like uh, life, health. I'm just going to read the titles here. Life, health, sustenance, wealth, inequality, the environment, peace, safety, terrorism, democracy, equal rights, knowledge, quality of life, and so on and so forth. Did you know that we are the healthiest humans ever to walk the face of the earth? Did you know that we are wealthier than we any... um, yeah, any group of humans in the history of the world. And you say, oh, yeah, but what about, yeah, all, all the wealth is held by 1% and 99% are just living in poverty. Actually, um, for the first time in history, and especially in the last several generations, even the poor, poorer countries have all prog- progressed in terms of wealth. There's only a small handful, small hand, maybe a few countries that are still living in the same grinding poverty they're living in 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Um, every, almost every single country has um, experienced amazing strides in wealth. The prospect of ending, actually ending world poverty is actually in view. And we've made massive steps toward reducing um, uh, poverty. Inequality, the, the gap between the haves and have-nots has closed in. Um, inequality, so he challenged, <laughs> okay, um, he shows through lots of evidence that Racism is at an all-time low. Racially driven hate crimes is at an all-time low. Um, violence is at an all-time low. Would you do you believe that? I mean, he shows. I mean, he looks at all the data very thoroughly and says all these things that people think that we're living in the most violent times and and everybody's just getting gunned down in the streets and everybody, you know, p- poverty is just you know a widespread problem and, you know, inequality is all over the place between, you know, ethnic minorities and, and women and all this stuff. He just shows that all of that is not true based on thorough evidence. Now, for me, I'm not planting my stake in the ground. I'm not saying he's 100% right. I'm saying he has provided a wealth of evidence and I would need to see counter evidence for me to, not, I guess, not believe what he's saying. Um, safety, terrorism is way, way, way down. Democracy is rising in many different countries. Equal rights, knowledge, quality of life, even the environment. Um, and he, he's, he's a huge um, advocate for things like, you know, uh, addressing climate change and, and all these things. Um, and he says, look, we still have a problem. This, this is probably the biggest problem in the 21st century is what are we going to do with climate change, the environment? Um, but he says, given the, tra- the, the, the track, given the trajectory that we're on, we're looking pretty good. Like we're actually making great strides to deal with things like climate change. And if we keep um, going this direction by the end of the 21st century, if we keep exploring and, and pushing in and, and analyzing and, and coming up with solutions to the problems, um, we will be on the planet for many, many more years and we will avoid major catastrophes. So it is a fascinating book. It will blow apart so much media hype about, um, you know, just 
the apocalypse that we're living in in the wake of Trump. And he is probably the biggest opponent of Trump I've ever read. He's got tons of pages even, you know, just uh, showing how horrible Trump is. Um, But he would turn, he'll turn right around and say, look, even the Trump era, um, it's, it's not like, you know, the whole world is just crashing down. Like things are still progressing incredibly, incredibly well. So Steven Pinker, Enlightenment Now, I got to read it. Okay, a few books that I'm uh, currently reading. I just started From Shame to Sin by Kyle Harper, The Christian Transformation of Sexual Morality in Late Antiquity. I've been meaning to read this book for quite some time now. Um, it's highly acclaimed. Um, he is a classicist, and he looks at how the uniqueness of the Christian sexual ethic is uh, ended up revolutionizing the Roman world. Now, I'm only on page 11, okay? So I don't want to say much more than that. Um, it's not an easy read. I don't think he's a very clear writer at all. I mean, well, it's an academic book. He's a scholar. Well, yeah, so is N.T. Wright, but I can understand him. I mean, it's it's not the clearest read. I'm reading it very slowly. I think he has um, pretty much every sentence has a lot of abstract nouns and passive voice constructions, which is just a big no-no in my book. But um Anyway, it, it's, a, it's a highly acclaimed book, and um, what I'm looking for in this book and what I know about it is, is just the, the I want to I I see and trace and really understand the distinctiveness of the Christian sexual ethic in the face of its broader culture and how the Christian sexual ethic can have a transforming and attractive power. It did it. I know, I mean, I know the conclusion of the book. I know, I know his conclusion is correct, pretty much. I think he just analyzes the details along the way that the Christian sexual ethic was so countercultural and yet so compelling that it was one means by which Christianity sort of overturned the values of the Roman Empire over the first 300 years of Christianity. So very excited to read this book. It's going to be a slow read, but I'm going to try to slug my way through it. I've also started reading, I'm on page 37 of uh, Mark Yarhouse's new book, Listening to Sexual Minorities, A Study of Faith and Sexual Identity on Christian College Campuses. This is kind of uh, uh, the byproduct of many years of study of how... Uh, gay and lesbian bisexual Christians um, operate and get by and live and process life during their college uh, years. It's based on uh, lots of different studies, longitudinal studies that, you know, they've been tracing people for many years. And um, so far, very informative, very good book. If you're interested in the LGBT conversation, this is I'm going to probably say a must-read because anything Mark puts out is a must-read. Not the most, if I can say, exciting book. Um, It's not the. It's just kind of a slower read. And if you're not, if you don't have a cup of coffee, you could kind of your mind could maybe wander. I think I've. It's just it's kind of a data-driven book. Okay, so if you're interested in the data, then you're going to be intrigued. If you're looking for a novel or something to you know keep you awake, that this might not be the best book to read, but lots of charts, lots of graphs, and um, I'm really excited to see everything Mark says there with his team of researchers researchers that um, helped out. Uh, I also just started uh, Unclobber by Colby Barton, Rethinking Our Misuse of the Bible and Homosexuality. I haven't, this book's been out for a couple years, and I just haven't been excited to read it because, I don't know, <laughs> he, he, he deals primarily with um, the so called clobber passages, the passages that prohibit same-sex sexual behavior. I don't like that phrase on the clobber passages. Uh, So already I'm like, unclobber, all right, well, yeah. Anyway, (laughs) 
Um, just because a verse of scripture um, has been misused by, uh, you know, jerks in the church, um, doesn't mean that their misuse should become the um, description of that verse. You know what I mean? I mean, <laughs> t- tons of verses have been used by, you know, out of context and misused to harm people. And that doesn't mean that we should accredit their understanding of the verse to that verse itself. Like, let's free the verse from their um, clobbering. And, and I think that's what he tries to do. But I just, the, the phrase clobber passages just really irritates me. But um, I don't know. I'm just not really interested in rehashing yet again the affirming view on these so-called prohibition clobber passages. Like, it's just, I don't know. I spent a lot of time doing that. Um, and I spent most of my time in scholarly research um, and I am not super thrilled to read yet another book on why these verses, you know, don't mean what, what people think they mean, why they don't apply to modern day same sex marriages. Um, the big question I'm going to be looking for in this book, I only read the forward so far, um, is does he actually deal with the most fundamental, basic foundational question? What is marriage? See, this is the problem with this debate is people race to these prohibition passages, try to say that they don't apply to two marriages today or whatever, but they never actually raise and def- the question, what is marriage, and define marriage from Scripture, or at least from Christian theology. So that's going to be looking for if he doesn't, and maybe he does, maybe he has a whole chapter, I don't know, um, but if he doesn't actually um, articulate and defend a particular definition of marriage that allows for sexually uh, well, that, that allows for same-sex couples to be included into that definition, then, I mean, the whole book to me is kind of standing with two, le- two legs firmly in midair um, because that's the most foundational question that needs to be addressed before we go to the prohibition passages. So that's Unclobber. I'll let you know what I think about that when I finish it. Um, two more books, uh, The Bible's Yes to Same-Sex Marriage, a new edition with study guide by Mark Ochtenmeyer. Um, this is a book I should have read a while back. But again, I kind of got burnt out on reading all the affirming arguments because at the end of the day, they all kept saying kind of the same thing. To my mind, uh, James Brownson wrote the definitive defense of the affirming view from a scholarly perspective. Um, Matthew Vines did a great job collecting kind of all the or some of the main scholarly arguments and putting it into an understandable form. Um, So between those two books and several other scholarly articles and books that I've read, uh, that defend the affirming view. Um, there's not really much out there that I'm, I think I'm going to be shocked by. But anyway, I feel like I'm, this has still been a significant book for some people's repertoire of arguments. So um, I am going to read it. The Bible's yes to same-sex marriage. Lastly, Mihai Kim Court, Outside the Lines, How Embracing Queerness Will Transform Your Faith. Again, another affirming uh, book that I'm excited to read. It's another uh, kind of testimony of somebody who... I I haven't read it, so I don't want to speak beyond what I know, but I think she identifies as queer and Christian, and she tells her story of what it was like growing up in the church. Um, I I will say, I I hope it's good. Um, It it has some good reviews, some good endorsements by Nadia Bowles-Weber, Mike McCarg, Jeff Chu, forward by Rachel Held Evans. Um, So so I am looking forward to reading it. I feel like I've read so many kind of memoirs and testimonies that... um, um, yeah, I mean, after a while, they start kind of sounding very similar. But um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how this goes. I'm, I'm excited to dig in. So those are the books I'm reading, folks. Um, and I hope that you, um, yeah, have uh, maybe 
if, if I hope some of these titles have caught your attention and I hope that you can maybe pick up one or two or a few of all of these books. Honestly, um, I would probably recommend Steven Pinker's Enlightenment Now. Um, it's just so incredible and it's a very thorough read. But um, yeah, what are you guys reading? Email me and let me know what you're reading. Let me know if there's a book within this topic that I've missed or one that you would like for me to consider talking about on the show. Until then, we'll see you next time on Theology in the Rock. Thank you.